Well, movies are filled, movies are filled with heroes who stop at nothing to win the day. Uh, no matter what opposition they face, they always win the day, they get through. Uh, there's Rambo and his exploits in war, there's Rocky and winning the boxing matches, there's Remy, the rat in Ratatouille, wanting to be a chef, there's Garfield and wanting to eat that last donut. Now, all of them face opposition of some description, but they come out a winner in the end. Now, that's a lot like God in the pages of the Bible. God faces opposition from all quarters, but he never loses. God always wins. And that brings great comfort to you and I, the people of God, because there's lots in life that can make us feel like God's a long way off, that he's losing, and that as his people, we're losing trouble, hardship, persecution, danger, death. But what we have in Numbers 22 to 24 is the clear teaching that nothing and no one can stop God from blessing his people. God cannot be stopped. Chapter 22 of our Numbers begins on the plains of Moab, along the Jordan River, across from Jericho. This is the very spot that Israel will leave as they begin their conquest of the promised land. They've arrived here in Numbers 22 on the border of the promised land. It is all about to go down. They stand mustered as the army of the Lord, ready to take over, and the nations around them are getting scared. They've heard what happened to the Egyptians. They've heard what Israel did to the Amorites, as we saw last week. And so now as Israel's camped on the the plains of Moab, Moab is scared because they know that if they go to war against Israel, they'll lose. And so before Moab tries to defend herself, she tries to go and get some help and they turn to the Midianites. But they don't go asking for military help. They're not looking for guns and tanks and Midian has a famous sorcerer named Balaam who can curse or bless. And so Balak, the king of Moab, wants Balaam to come and curse Israel. Then he'll go and defeat them. Now, just so that we're clear, uh, these two characters keep popping up in this story and their names are similar and so it's easy to uh, get confused as to who's who. It's a bit like Bill and Ben, the flowerpot men. You can never work out who's Bill and who's Ben. Uh, In Numbers, it's Balak and Balaam. Uh, Balak is the king, notice the two Ks, Balak is the king of Moab, Balaam is the uh, sorcerer from Midian and Balak wants Balaam to come and curse Israel. Now all the action in this episode occurs in Numbers 23 and 24 but before we get there there's a couple of things that we need to get clear about Balaam before we hook in. Uh, The stage if you like needs to be set before we can see that God can't be stopped from blessing his people. And the first thing that we need to get clear about Balaam is that he is God's foil. We'll pick it up halfway through verse 5 of chapter 22. Halfway through verse 5 of chapter 22. This is the message uh, Balak gave Balaam. Halfway through verse 5, Balak said, A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. 
the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. Now what we need to notice uh, right from the get-go about Balaam is that he's God's foil. He's a bad guy because first he's from Midian and Midian and Moab here are teaming up together to bring Israel down. And secondly, Balaam engages in divination, we're told. In other words, he's a sorcerer. And that's something that we're told elsewhere in the Old Testament that God hates. Uh, You can check it out in Deuteronomy 18. And so right from the start, Balaam, he's a bad guy. He's God's foil, God's enemy. Balaam opposes God and his people. Now, not only is Balaam God's foil, he's also God's fool. Uh, In the next scene, we're meant to laugh at Balaam because he's so blind and silly and even his pet donkey is smarter than him. Balaam is just God's fool. Uh, Twice the elders of Moab go to Balaam and offer him riches. That's uh, one of the things that Laurie just read for us. They promise him riches if he'll just come and curse Israel. Lots and lots of money for you, Balaam. Just come and put a curse on God's people. Have a look, verse 18, chapter 22, verse 18. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now stay here tonight as the others did, and I'll find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Now, at this point, you can be forgiven for thinking, poor Balaam. Uh, What did he do wrong? God told him to go with the princes of Moab, and he went. And now God's angry with him for going. And from what we've read so far, it, it is hard to tell what Balaam's done wrong. But it's clear that something's not right. God doesn't get angry for nothing and it's not until later in the story that we find out why God was angry with Balaam. I've put the references on your outline for you to look up later. Uh, As you read them, we're, we're told God knew Balaam's heart and Balaam was greedy for money. Balaam wanted to curse Israel. He wanted to get rich. And this shouldn't surprise us given what we've already seen of Balaam right from the very start. And God knew it all. And he was angry. And so an angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose Balaam. And this is where things get comical. uh, Because this is where the powerful sorcerer Balaam is shown up by his pet donkey. It's like the little kid who says, hey, the emperor's got no clothes on. Except for Balaam, it wasn't a kid. It was a donkey. Uh, As Balaam rides on his donkey, on his way to Moab, an angel of the Lord stands in their way, his sword is drawn, the donkey sees the angel and he scampers, turns off the road and runs into a field. But Balaam doesn't see the angel and so he beats the donkey up. Uh, Later down the road they're passing some vineyards and it's a narrow road with walls on either side. I imagine it's like those narrow roads you see in uh, the English farm districts, you know, with the really narrow roads and walls on either side. It's probably even narrower here. Uh, The angel stands opposed to Balaam on his donkey again. Again, the donkey sees the angel and tries to avoid it by pressing close to one of the walls. And unfortunately, this crushes one of Balaam's feet. And so he beats up his donkey again. Uh, The angel of the Lord then moved ahead 
to an even narrower part of the road. And this time there's nowhere for the donkey to turn, not left, not right, nowhere to squeeze. And so the donkey just lays down under Balaam and refuses to move. And again, Balaam, not seeing the angel for the third time, beats his donkey with his staff. And at this point, Balaam's humiliation begins to be made clear to him. The great sorcerer who can apparently summon divine blessings and curses has his donkey tell him to quit being such an idiot. Have a look, uh, verse 28, chapter 2, verse 28. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, you've made a fool of me. If I had my, a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. And then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. What we see here is that a donkey had more spiritual insight than Balaam, the great sorcerer. And it's not just Balaam who can speak the words of God, so can a donkey. Balaam is just God's fool. And he's also God's tool. Balaam may be a foolish foil for the Lord, but that doesn't mean that God can't use him. Which brings us to chapters 23 and 24, the climax of this episode. Balaam finally gets to Moab and he's brought to curse Israel, but all he can do is bless. Because God's chosen to bless these people and nothing and no one, not even Balaam, the mighty though foolish enemy of God, no one can stop God from blessing his people. Three times Balaam is summoned to curse Four times he blesses. The message is clear. You can't stop God. So let's quickly look at his blessings. Are they called oracles? The first oracle is all about since God hasn't decided to curse Israel, well then Balaam can't curse Israel either. Chapter 23 and verse 7. 23 verse 7. Then Balaam uttered his oracle. Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? In other words, if God hasn't cursed them, well, neither can I. It's a bit like me telling uh, Justin, my five-year-old son, that he can have a piece of chocolate, but then Beth... Uh, My three-year-old daughter comes along and says, no, 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 Justin, you can't have that bit of chocolate. She can't do that. Beth is not in a position to change what I've said. At least, not yet. I'm sure that day will come. (laughs) Now let's skip across to Balaam's second oracle. Balaam's second oracle. And this time the point is that since God has chosen to bless Old Testament Israel, then they will be blessed. It can't be changed. Chapter 23 and verse 18. Then he uttered his oracle, Arise, Balak, and listen, hear me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I've received the command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot change it. 
See, God has promised to bless these people and he always keeps his promises and so there's nothing Balaam can do to change it. Now, hopefully you'll remember the promises that God's uh, made that Balaam's talking about here. Back in Genesis, God promised Abraham that he would become a great nation, that he'd be given the land of Canaan and that he'd be blessed. Well, Abraham has become the great nation of Israel. And they're about to be given the promised land of Canaan. They're already enjoying the blessings of God and there's more in store. And so much of what Balaam says in all of his oracles is just a straight reflection of what God's already said in his promises to Abraham. God's fulfilling his promises. He will bless his people. Balaam can't change that. He can't change it. Israel cannot be cursed. Down to Balaam's third oracle. And we're given a picture of Israel enjoying God's blessing since, of course, it'll definitely happen. Chapter 24 and verse 5. Here's the picture. 24 verse 5. How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O Israel. Like valleys they spread out, like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. It's a picture of Israel enjoying the blessing of God, their kingdom being exalted, greater than the other kingdoms around them. It's the life of blessing. And after this third blessing from Balaam, the Moabites have had enough. They wanted curses, not blessings. And so after the third oracle, we read in verse 10, chapter 24, verse 10, then Balak's anger, Balak, remember, he's the king of Moab, his anger burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together and he said to him, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you've blessed them these three times. Now leave at once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. And those last words of Balak are a really good summary of what we've seen. Because the Lord has kept Balaam from being rewarded. Because the Lord has decided to bless Israel and no one and nothing can stop him. Balaam, despite being the enemy of God and a fool, he was just a tool in God's hands. God cannot be stopped. He will bless his people. Now, this was true for Israel, Old Testament Israel in the time of Numbers, and it's a truth about Jesus, uh, sorry, about God that we see most clearly in Jesus. It's a truth about God we see most clearly in Jesus. Because in the Lord Jesus, we see God's commitment to bless. Nothing could stop Jesus from bringing the blessings of God to his people. Remember the night before Christ died? In the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus knew everything that was about to happen to him. He was about to be crucified. And he prayed those anguished words, Father, please take this cup from me. In other words, please, is there another way? Jesus understood the horror of his imminent crucifixion in the place of sinners under the judgment of God. Father, is there another way to bring our blessing to our people? But there was no other way. 
And so even though it meant death in the place of sinners suffering their judgment, nothing could stop the Lord Jesus bringing his blessings to his people. And so he did it. He died for us. And through him, we enjoy every spiritual blessing. Turn across to uh, Romans chapter 8 with me, please. Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, uh, many of the blessings that we receive from God through Jesus are on display. Blessings that God can't be stopped from lavishing on his people. Uh, We read of there being no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We read of the Spirit of God being given to God's people so that they can live God's way and call on God as Dad. We've been made co-heirs with Christ of the Father. We're brought in by God to share in Christ's sufferings as well as to share in Christ's glory. We've been given the sure hope of freedom from sin in the new creation. God works in all things for our good. Romans 8 is just a catalogue of blessing upon blessing given to us in the Lord Jesus. Blessings that no one can stop God from giving. Blessings that no one can take away from us. God cannot be stopped. And so Paul ends the chapter by stating the obvious. If God is for us, who can be against us? God doesn't lose. He said he'll bless and no one and nothing can stop him. Have a look, Romans 8 and verse 31. Romans 8 verse 31. With all these blessings in mind, he says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Skip down to verse 35. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it's written, for your sake we face death all day long, we're considered as sheep to be slaughtered? No. In all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God cannot be stopped. Nothing and no one can stop him from blessing his people. Uh, Lots of things can be stopped. Uh, You can stop your car. You can stop yourself. You can stop a conversation. Uh, A train can be stopped. You can stop eating meat. I'm not sure why, but you can. Uh, You can stop wasting time. Governments can be stopped. Wars can be stopped. There's actually not a lot of things that can be stopped. There's at least one thing that can be stopped. Ah, sorry, one thing that can't be stopped. Get that right? Time. Time can't be stopped. Time marches on, and as much as we may want to stop it, it just keeps going. Our kids grow up faster than we think. We grow older faster than we like. Deadlines come and go. Time just seems to hurtle along, doesn't it? Like a runaway train. We can't stop time. Nothing and no one can stop God from blessing his people. Now, I might not look at it at times. In Romans 8 itself, Paul rattled off a whole stack of things that can make it look like God's spinning out of control. Trouble, hardship, persecution, 
danger, death. There's a whole stack to life that can make it seem like God's not coming through on his promise to bless. But there's nothing and no one in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now that can be easy to say, can't it? But harder to live. It can be hard to live by that at times. For example, Paul mentioned trouble or hardship as things that we go through. And maybe your troubles or hardships cause you to doubt God's commitment to bless. Could be that you've got financial worries. Sometimes you'll wonder whether you'll be able to pay the bills. Maybe it's your children that trouble you. Uh, The decisions that they're making or the decisions that they're facing. Perhaps there's illness and chronic sickness in your life. But we need to remember that being short of cash doesn't put you back in debt with God. Being worried about your children doesn't stop you being a child of God. Being sick doesn't disqualify you from eternal life in the new creation. God's blessings can't be stopped or taken away. Life may be filled with hardship and trouble, but this doesn't change one bit what we already have in Christ. And it can't stop God giving us all things more in Christ in the age to come. It might be that you're experiencing persecution and danger, other things that Paul spoke of. And it's these things that push your buttons, making you think that God's blessings are either a distant memory or just a fantasy. Uh, People speaking maliciously about you because they can't stand Jesus and now you just keep talking about him. And so you're in danger of losing friends and family because of your commitment to Christ. You seek to honour Jesus in all you do and for that, you're being shunned, not invited to this function, excluded from this family gathering, kept away, out of the loop, ostracised, made into a social leper, people speaking behind your back, gossiping, spreading rumours. And it's all got about as much chance as Balaam did of taking away God's blessing. Nothing and no one can stop God from taking away his blessing from his people. That so-called friends or family or enemies run you down uh, to your face or behind your back, that people are persecuting you and making you feel small and irrelevant, outdated and insignificant, simple, ignorant, childish. It doesn't matter what people say or do, it can't change for one moment the fact that you are in Christ, a co-heir with Christ of the Father. God's got an inheritance for his son, the Lord Jesus, that as his people we get to share in. I don't think we can begin to imagine the glory that awaits us, but it's ours to share with Christ. And no matter how many or how strong or how foolish our enemies might be, they can't stop God blessing his people. They can't take God's inheritance away from us. They cannot stop God. Or maybe for you it's death. Maybe it's death that casts its shadow on you. The prospect of death is making you doubt God's commitment and power to bless. Perhaps you have a terminal illness. Maybe it's just that you're quite senior and in reality you haven't really got many years left 
in this life. Time's just flying by. Death has many ways of casting its dark shadow across our lives and at times it can feel like the shadow just gets longer and darker and at times it makes you afraid. And at those times we need to remember God cannot be stopped. Death cannot take us away from God. Death cannot take away the blessings of eternal life that we already have in Christ. Death does not blot out our names from God's book of life. Nothing and no one can stop God from blessing his people. Because what shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Trouble? Hardship? Persecution? Danger? Death? God cannot be stopped. Nothing and no one. Nothing and no one can stop him because nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's praise his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your commitment to bless, your commitment to have your people for yourself. And thank you for the commitment we see in Christ Jesus who would even die that we might be your people blessed by you. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for making us your children. Thank you for the promise of eternal life in your new creation, free from sin. Father, thank you for your, our adoption into your family as your children. Father, thank you for every spiritual blessing that you have already given us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And thank you that nothing and no one can take it away. And thank you that you have even more in store that in the new creation you have more to shower us with. Father, we are astounded by your goodness and your kindness, for we deserve nothing of this. And thank you that nothing and no one can stop you from blessing your people. And so, Father, as we endure hardship and persecution and danger and death, Father, keep our trust in you. May our hope be in you and the blessings that you have already secured, the blessings you have promised for the future that we'll always put our hope in you. Amen.